I'm doing a message this morning, as I wrote this week, it's called Wrestling With God. How to wrestle with God. And I find in our Christian lives, and there is this tension that we have between resting and wrestling. That sometimes in our life, and we can say, I just wanna rest in God, I abide, and God fights my battles, and let me just be still and wait on the Lord. And that's great. But then there's also a wrestle that we can have that we see in the Bible, which is better, resting or wrestling? Resting can kind of seem more holy some of the times, that mature people rest in God and God takes care of them through faith. But I see so many heroes of the faith actually wrestling with God in the Bible. There's this to and fro, almost like a combat sport between man and and God. I look at Moses, he wrestled with God, he interceded on behalf of the people to change God's mind often. In Deuteronomy 9, he pleaded with God. He gave reasons to God why God should answer his prayers. He reminded God of his promises. And as a result, God relented on his judgment of the people. That there was this wrestle that changed the mind of God. And not that we shouldn't rest and not that we shouldn't abide. John 14 goes through that very clearly, but often the rest comes through the wrestle. Often the rest comes through the wrestle, no matter the outcome. David, if uh, King David was here today, I am pretty sure he would be on the creative team. Uh, He was a very creative person. He was quite uh, emotional in his expression through his Psalms. And a lot of his Psalms are all around David's lament, his sadness, his persecution, the people that were chasing him. And a lot of his Psalms, David starts with that, lamenting and he's sad about things. But by the end, he's praising God. And in the middle, it's this wrestle with God. Where are you, God? Where's my help? Where's my deliverer? This wrestle that David goes through so many times in his life. Even when his child was ill, him and Bathsheba had a child and the child was ill and David sought God on behalf of the child. It says he was fasted and prayed and lay on the ground and through beating the ground all night, wrestling with God. This amazing moment where he would just wrestle with God. God, allow my child to live. But the child died. And it says in that moment that David, in that moment, got up, anointed himself and went to worship the Lord in the temple. There is this rest that comes through a wrestle that no matter the outcome, you can have a peace in your soul. Habakkuk, he begins the book by asking, how long, O Lord, shall I have to cry for help? and you will not hear me. I cry to you violence and you still do not save. And that's in Habakkuk 1. But then after this wrestle, this to and fro with God, Habakkuk is content to rest in God. He declares, even though the fig tree bears no flowers, nor the fruit does not grow on the vines, I will rejoice in the Lord. There are times when God only releases His blessings on us after a season of prolonged and painful wrestling. And I think this is important. I think our 21st century faith needs this. We need to have a resilient faith. We need to have a faith that can deal with and navigate the tough issues of the world. And and I believe this, that you will be, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world if you do not know how to wrestle with God over some of the great navigating topics of our time and be transformed by your mind. Our Christianity is not a sit down, shut up and believe this old book. 
That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is, hey, meet the Creator of the universe and through a vibrant and often confronting relationship with Him, come to know the Bible as truth and as a reality. And so today I wanna look at Genesis 32. It's this story of Jacob wrestling God. And let me give you a bit of background so this passage makes sense when we read it. Jacob um, was one of two brothers. His brother Esau was the oldest brother and Jacob, through his whole life, pursued blessing. He was very thirsty after blessing. He pursued it, he was driven for it. The Bible says that it was almost like he was grabbing his brother's heel to get out of the womb first because the firstborn gets the blessing. And even though he wasn't first out, even when Esau went to his father, his father was dying, so they had to bless his firstborn. Jacob dressed up like Esau to go in there so the father would give him blessing of the birthright. He wanted that blessing, he wanted that. After that, Esau chased him out, chased him out of the land. He was gonna kill him for trying to steal his birthright. Um, Jacob didn't get blessing, he didn't get the riches or any of that. And so he went to this other place where he ended up working for 14 years to get Rachel, what he thought was the blessing of his life. Then he goes back home. After that season, comes back home. He's heading back to his homeland and Esau comes out to greet him with 400 men. That's not a greeting party. That is an army. And so Jacob coming home is petrified for his life. He's described as a bit of an insomniac that he can't sleep. He comes to this point where he divides his Family and he divides his livestock into two because he thinks Esau is gonna kill one of them and at least he'll get to keep half of what he has. This is the worst moment of his life where he's in agony. So he splits his people in two and then he stays on the other side of the river because he needs a night with God to pray and sort things out. He comes to God for comfort. And so we pick up the story here in Genesis 32, verses 24 to 31. It says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be Jacob. He said, it will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? Kind of a silly question. God's pretty much being sarcastic. You know who I am. And he blessed him there. Jacob named the place Peniel for I have seen God face to face, he said yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip, which is a key point. And before I go on to the ways that we can wrestle with God, there's some key indicators here of how we can have a true encounter with God. I just wanna pull them out quickly because I believe that more, now more than ever, we need to encounter the reality of God, not just know about Him, not just see Him from afar, not just have friends that encounter God, but you need to encounter God for yourself. Jacob was a spiritual man and up until this point, he'd been having dreams and visions, angels going up and down ladders. He was a spiritual guy, but this is the first time he had a, a real encounter with God face to face. How did it happen? There's three kind of signposts that I think happen for an encounter with God. Not that there's a formula for it, but these things are present. One, it says that Jacob was alone. 
Not that you can't encounter God in a place like this. You can encounter God anywhere, but Jacob was alone. In our faith, we can have a cultural faith, a corporate faith, or even an ethnic faith where we believe this. I grew up in a Christian family, so my family believes this, or I'm part of an ethnic group, and we all believe X, Y, and Z. You can have a corporate faith and a cultural faith, and that's very important, but at some point, it has to be your faith. He has to become your God. Not that his person's God or, or Pastor Joey's God or Angus's God. It has to be mine. It has to come a point where God must be yours, possessive about it. He is my God and I am his son. I have chosen him and he has chosen me. This is a covenant relationship. It's personal. Because in this COVID season, we've seen in times where we cannot gather, people who only had a cultural faith or a faith propped up by uh, systems and frameworks and gatherings, when that wasn't there anymore, they fall away because it was never personal. Jacob was alone, it must be personal. The second thing I noticed for encountering with God is that you must chase the blessing. There are many blessings that you can chase. Jacob spent his whole life chasing blessing. He chased the blessing of his birthright and riches from his father. He chased the blessing of Rachel when he thought that that beauty was the thing that he sought. But in this, he was willing to risk it all for the blessing, the blessing of God, the thing that would satisfy his very soul. When you pursue God, it has to be for the blessing, the blessing that God can give that no one else on this earth can give. The third thing is that he pursued in weakness. Two types of weakness. The first one was physical. I don't know if anyone's ever done wrestling, but to wrestle for even five minutes, you'll be wrecked. Like we used to wrestle in high school for five, two, three minutes, you're tired, you're wrecked, it uses every muscle in your body. And they wrestled for hours until daybreak. This guy would have been shattered. So he's weak physically, but he's also weak spiritually and emotionally that he thinks he's about to die at the hands of his brother. He has no other hope. And he comes to God and with this and saying, God, you are my only hope. He comes in a position of weakness. No one encounters God when you walk in with a fake bravado. God, everything's going good. I'm a great man. Here we go. Come on, encounter me. God gives grace to the humble, but denies the proud. And so he comes from this place of weakness. And so those are some great things. When we encounter God, it must be for yourself alone. You can do it in worship amongst a lot of people, but it just must be you and God. That's how he wants to encounter you. Yes, chase the blessings of God. He's a big God. He's not like a tap where you turn off to conserve water. You can pursue the blessing of God. God wants to bless you. And third, it must be done from a place of weakness where you need God. Those are some great points when you wanna encounter God. And Jacob, when he comes into this, he's probably thinking it's a really badly timed hassle. He comes in for comfort. Even when you're really tired, you've just been pursuing something, work's going hard, family's rough, whatever it is, you come and you're like, God, I just need some comfort. And God knows that, God knows what he's been through, but instead of comfort, I know what you need, an all night strenuous wrestle that leaves you more physically tired and with a dislocated hip. That's what you need. Because often when we come to God, we think we need comfort, but only in hindsight, looking back, did we reveal that this wrestle resulted in the rest and comfort that we needed. And so Jacob starts the night in fear. He starts the night in desperation, but he limped towards his future with a blessing and a peace. And all of your struggle with God, all of your struggling with God and faith will lead to blessing and peace. At my life group this week, 
we chatted around this concept as, they, as my life group helped me kind of flush some things out and thoughts out from different perspectives. And after that, um, one of the guys, Lockie, texted me and said, I think this is a really great topic and something very needed for this time right now because one of the disciples, his name is Thomas. We might know him as Doubting Thomas. He didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected unless he saw the holes in his hand. And he said, I think a lot of the current world at the moment is like that. They're pragmatic. They've got doubts around their faith. And sometimes in our Christian worldview, we can think that having doubts is wrong, that having doubts is the opposite to faith. But Tim Keller actually says that having a faith without doubts is like having your human body without antibodies, that it's open to attack. That doubt isn't bad, but it needs to be processed and wrestled in faith with God. That is how you grow in faith. And so if you have doubts here today, if you're sceptic about some of the Christian faith, good, but you're in for a wrestle. God is not an insecure God that says, oh, please don't wrestle me, you might hurt me. God wants to wrestle with this. And if this is the truth, then God invites every wrestle. There's no downside to a wrestle because either one, you've got it right, or two, you will know what's right afterwards and you'll know God better. There's no downside to it. And so there's three ways that I think that are really important for us to wrestle with God. The first one is this, wrestle with Scripture. You must wrestle with Scripture. And a wrestle with Scripture is your current understanding versus biblical intent. Now, people are complicated. You are complicated. Men, we like to say we're simple, we're still not, we are complicated. But how we all come to God, every single one of you has a different origin point of how you came to God. We might have someone over here that uh, was an atheist and they came to God, someone over here that was a Buddhist, they came to God, someone over here grew up in a Christian family, um, someone over here had a uh, bad experience, they grew up in a, a poor family for cycles and cycles and always had to um, take jobs from an early age, they didn't know what it's like to have money, someone over here was filthy rich and they came to God. Everyone has a different origin point that identifies their life before they met Christ. And that's fine, that's great. But when you meet Christ, God doesn't be like, boom, let's pull you all onto the same path now. You journey towards Jesus, following Him and being like Him, but everyone starts from that turnaround point. That moment they meet God, they're still at those points of origin, but now they're turned around and all going this way like this. That's called the sanctification process. And for me, it looks different to you. Our lives are very complicated all of your hurts from your past. Think of yourself like a, a ball of wool, so tied around each other when you've been through hurts and positive things and negative things and a right worldview and a wrong worldview, it's all messed up and that is your life. And so wrestling with God determines the pace that you follow God, but often it takes a long time. It takes years of God unwounding your hurts and un unwounding your pain and, and, and changing your worldview and that's fine. That whole process takes a long time. The danger is if you stop using the infallible Word of God to define your worldview and you start to use your current worldview, fallible worldview, to lens how you see the Word of God. That's when it gets dangerous. If you start using your fallible worldview, wherever you've come from, you have a worldview and a framework for how you think the world works, some of that will be right some of that will be wrong. 
But if you stop using the infallible Word of God to change your worldview and you start using your fallible worldview to lens how you see the Word of God, then you're going to be in a dangerous place. And now, if I was gonna ask you, some people may in this place have been saved for maybe 40 years, longer perhaps. But if I was gonna ask, before you wonder if you do this, do I do this? The answer is yes, you do this. (laughs) We all do this. We all use our current worldview to as a lens for how we see Scripture. We say things like, oh my God would never do that when we hear about something. We say, oh my Jesus, no, that's that's not the Jesus I know when something would happen. But we have to wrestle with Scripture, our current understanding and framework, no matter how long you've held it, with the biblical intent of Scripture. And there's so many of these, I wrestle with them all the time. Me and my wife this week were talking about um, one popular, I'm pretty sure I've preached that God might not cause suffering, but He allows it. Tell that to Jacob who just got his hip punched out by God. Pretty sure his limp for the rest of his life was caused directly by God. Now I'm not trying to poke holes in your theology, but I'm saying there's stuff here we need to wrestle with. Or like in Moses, Moses is telling God, hey, I can't go talk to, to Pharaoh. I can't be your spokesperson. I've got a stutter. And so Moses, God replies to Moses in Exodus 4, the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on a human? Who makes a person mute? Who makes them deaf? Who lets them see? Who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, taking responsibility for that? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Now, I'm not sounding, doing this to make God sound like a bad guy. And the pattern, like with Job, seems to be that he allows and doesn't cause. But we say these frameworks and these statements, my God would never do that. Jesus, that's not the Jesus I know when there's things here that we really need to wrestle with. You never grow in your faith if your comfort is more important to you than God's glory. You won't grow in your faith if your comfort and your current worldview is more important than God getting glory. And so we need to engage with this in a wrestle between your current understanding and the biblical intent. And and as I said before, the only outcome can be blessing and peace. The Bible will offend you. The Bible at its very nature, because it asks you to change, the Bible is pretty much telling you, you've got things wrong. You haven't got it all together. If you've read the first three chapters of Romans lately, you'll definitely know that. The only person that's accepted from that is Jesus. Everybody else will get convicted and changed to the very core if they read the first three chapters of Romans. Everybody. The Bible in its nature is is offensive because it's suggesting you're wrong about something, always. And so we need to wrestle with these things. In the first three chapters of Romans say it, and 2 Timothy 3 says this, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See, when you wrestle with the Scriptures, it makes you complete and it will equip you for every good work. The only way for you to be equipped for the calling of God that is on your life is to wrestle with the Scriptures, to go back and forth with God And I know this, that if you don't wrestle with the Scriptures, you will passively drift more in line with society's spirituality. You must wrestle with your worldview. And I love this for us as a community as well. 
that if we have this, if we are dedicated to this as a church, as City Point Church, if we are dedicated to changing our worldview based on our understanding of Bible, then we always have a common denominator, a solid foundation on which to base our relationships. And so I might believe one thing and Dee might believe something different and that's fine, that's cool. We can still be friends and move forward because we have this common denominator, the foundation that we wanna know what the Bible says. You know when you have the world, your own worldview as the common denominator because someone will say something against it and you start to prickle up. Hey, no, no, you can't say that about that. But when you have the Word of God, the Word of God is secure enough that it doesn't make you angry when someone doesn't agree with it. It acts as a foundation for our lives that we can work off together and it actually builds us into a stronger community amongst our differences and our different beliefs. You must wrestle with the Scriptures. To wrestle with Scriptures, you need to read Scriptures and know Scriptures. The second way that we wrestle. So when you wrestle with Scriptures, it's about a mind, your mind versus the intent of the Bible. It's a mind game. Wrestling in prayer is the next way that we can wrestle with God. And if that was for our mind, then wrestling in prayer is a battle of wills. It is your will versus the will of God. And unfortunately, they aren't always the same. Sometimes we always just think our will is the best. Everybody thinks their will is the best. I wouldn't probably do something if I didn't think I was right in doing it. But there's a quote that says, your 80-year-old self will look at your 40-year-old self like your 40-year-old self looks, at, looks like at your 10-year-old self. The will and want of my 10-year-old self was not very wise. I wouldn't want those prayers to come to fruition now. And so God would look at our lives and our will in the same way, like, oh, if, if you knew what I know, you wouldn't be asking for that. And so in our prayer life, there is this battle of wills that goes on and prayer, wrestling in prayer is the only thing that brings your will into alignment with God's will. That is what prayer does. And sometimes we can think when we come into our prayer life, and I'm sure if you've uh, been in faith a while, you have this thought and it's, well, if God is sovereign and His will will be done, His sovereign will is always gonna happen and He knows all the contents of my heart and my desires, then why should I even pray? He already knows them. Why am I telling Him something that He already knows? But, but God is, it's more about, it's not about just getting from God. If it was all about just getting from God, then you pray your vending machine prayer, like, God, I want this, put my prayer in, get my miracle out, all good. But God wants this wrestle to take place. Even Jesus had to wrestle in prayer. Luke 22, 41 to 44. This is right before He goes to the cross. He withdrew from His disciples about a stone's throw. He knelt down and He began to pray, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from me. What Jesus is praying there is a prayer that we've all prayed. I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna go through torture. I don't wanna hang on a cross. I don't have a crown of thorns pressed so deeply into my skull that the blood drips down my, I don't wanna, can you take it from me? There's this wrestle. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The battle of will. Prayer brings a will, a human will in line with the divine will. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's the wrestle. What a wrestle even that Jesus, he was fully human wrestling with God. There is a, there is a transference of burden as you pray. And sometimes when we get it wrong, we can just 
invite a lethargic prayer life and a lethargic faith to come in when we refuse to wrestle with God about things. But as we give our burdens to Jesus, He gives us rest. And half the wrestle with God is allowing God to pry your burdens and pry your concerns and pry your focus out of your fingers that you won't let go of. Are you willing to wrestle in prayer for control of your life? I remember 10 years ago, my sister was hit by a car and it was a very serious injury. She had to be resuscitated multiple times on scene. Her brain was twisted in her head, was not a good scenario. A negative report after negative report. I was told when I got to the hospital that she probably wasn't gonna make it. And then this wrestle started. Me and my family wrestling with God, give Katie back. And so time after time, injury after injury, and then we're told that she would never walk again, that she wouldn't speak again, that she wouldn't be the same person again. And the brain injury unit, the doctors were saying all these different things to the point after months and months and months of prayer, they said, I don't know what God you serve, but they've given her a second life, don't waste it. That there was this wrestle that happened and in the wrestle, God said, yes. And I remember in reading this verse in Romans 4, 17, it says, God gives life to the dead and calls, ex- calls existence the things that do not exist. And me and the family were so grateful, so happy that God in this wrestle said, yes, but there have been so many times in my life where I've, I've wrestled and I've prayed and I've been on the ground before God and the same kind of wrestle before God, just as passionate, with just as much faith and God says, no. No to miracles or no to life or no to prayer whatever it may be. But the wrestle, and and this is the thing, only through wrestling with God can you get a yes or get a no, but still have peace about it. Sometimes it's only after the wrestle that you can cease striving and have a rest for your soul. And I I wanna encourage you to struggle and encourage you to wrestle because I don't want this lethargic prayer life and lethargic faith to slip into the people of God. Because sometimes we can have a spiritual resignation about our faith, that whatever will happen, will happen. I don't need to pray about it. And so we can say, I'm just resting in God. I'm just abiding. I'm just letting the Lord fight my battles. And we use it as a kind of spiritual resignation tied up in a Christianese bow because we're not willing to grab the heel of God, not willing to grab His coat and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Sometimes that's the prayer it takes. It's sometimes not asking, not pursuing, not going back again and again. It's a sign of drifting from God, unwilling to actively engage Him, unwilling to cling to Him like Jacob did. We need to understand where our rest comes from. And often our rest comes from the wrestle. Are you willing to let, are you willing to fight God for control of your life? There's this moment when God and Jacob are in this wrestle. They're wrestling till morning and then the sun starts to come up. I don't know if you caught that verse. God says, I gotta go, the sun's coming up. And so how do we interpret that? I've got places to be, I've got a 7 a.m. coffee, I've got to get to, got to go. Why why is the sun coming up such an important thing in this moment? There's multiple verses throughout the Bible that back this up, but 1 Timothy 6, I think, says it's best. It says, He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and He lives in light 
and is unapproachable, whom no one has seen and no one can see, to Him be the honour and eternal power. There is this flowing narrative through the Bible that if you see God directly, if you behold His power and behold His glory, His that perfect and that holy, that no one will survive that. Right now on earth, we see in part, which is great because if you saw God in the light, no sin can be before Him in this moment. And in this moment where Jacob hasn't been blessed yet, and he's holding on to God, and he knows that if he holds on to God in the light, if he sees God directly, it could kill him. And so he's at this fork in the road where he could let go and continue life as it is. Or he holds on and fights for the blessing of God at the cost of everything. And this is what the wrestle in prayer looks like. It's not about just declaring what will happen in faith. Sometimes we just like to declare something like it's this one way. I'm just praying to you, God, I declare that you will meet my needs. But declaring in itself, if it doesn't align with the biblical truth, doesn't do it, I could declare that I'm gonna fly off this platform. Chances are good I'm still gonna eat carpet. But what it's supposed to be prayer is not this declaration moment that doesn't line up with the Word of God. You can declare things if God has said them, but prayer is supposed to be this wrestle, this to and fro, this combat sport where you're in a relationship with God and you wrestle. That's the only way, because if you just do a one-way prayer and it doesn't come through, you have no idea why. There's no relationship about it and you'll be even more disheartened. But if you wrestle with God about it, if there's a to and fro for it, it brings you into alignment with His will. And when you're in alignment with His will, the outcome can be yes or it can be no, but you will have peace about it regardless. You wrestle with Scripture, you wrestle with prayer. And the third one is that we wrestle for intimacy. Because when we wrestle with Scripture, you're wrestling for understanding and truth found in the Bible. When you wrestle with prayer, it's about alignment of will. But when you wrestle for intimacy, it's a battle of loves. It's a wrestle for the allegiance of your heart. And there's this verse in 2 Timothy 3, verse one to five, it's about describing the end times. And I really think it describes humanity right now. But what caught me from this is that Timothy in it, or Paul to Timothy in it, really characterise people by what they love. Look at this, 1 Timothy 3, one to five. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient, ungrateful, unloving, Slanderers without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Traitors, conceders, they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this will cause them to hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. And more and more I find this, that following Jesus is not about trying to change what we believe, but about redirecting your loves, what you love. Even the, the first commandments that God gives, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Not believe in God and believe your neighbour is good. It's love. The Christian journey is about constantly redirecting our loves and our affections towards God. And when God blesses Jacob, this is why it's a wrestle for intimacy. When God blesses Jacob. It's not like he pulls some divine gift from heaven's storehouses. Here's 
Excalibur, the sword, you'll never lose another battle. That's not the blessing that it was. The blessing that next line after that, bless me, God says, what is your name? Who are you? Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. There's this closeness of relationship. The wrestle has been for this moment in intimacy where God says, you shall no longer be known as Jacob, the deceiver, but you shall be known as Israel because you struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. This is the blessing that he's wrestled for. He's wrestled for intimacy. And intimacy shapes your identity. Identity cannot be taken, it's given from God. And I've found that in our society, there are three big lies around identity that stop you from intimacy with God. And usually based on your origin points, you believe one of these three major lies about identity. The first one is, is I am what I have. A group of people, there's three of them. Some people believe they are what they have. If I have the house, if I have the family, if I have enough stuff then I'll be comfortable, that is what I need to feel secure. That's one lie that people believe that stops them from intimacy with God. The second one is I am what I do. That if I achieve enough, if I'm successful enough, if I have a great work life, if I'm a great mum or dad or friend, whatever, I am what I do. If I have that, then that's what I need to feel like I am somebody. That's where I get my significance from or security from. The third one is I am what people say, what people say about me. That if people like me and are pleased by me and are happy with what I do, then that's all I need to feel happy about my life and content about my life. And these are the three, three major lies around identity of the human soul because identity can only be found by the person who created you. And it's in this wrestle with the person that created you that you actually find your identity. Most of humanity believes at least one about themselves. And you can confess and declare that's not your identity and you can declare what your identity is, but often it only comes, the revelation of who you are only comes by this wrestle with God like it did with Jacob to the point where God says, that's not who you are. This is now who you are. It's a wrestle for intimacy. Do you, do you wrestle with God for that? Do you wanna know who He is? And Jacob says that, tell me your name. He knows who He is, but he's saying, show me who you are. I wanna see more of you. God is, has unlimited facets to His being and who He is. You can always know more of God. Do you still have that desperation in your heart? Who is He? Do you wanna see Him face to face? Jacob then, actually no longer Jacob, Israel, limps into his future to create a nation that becomes God's people. I am grateful God loves us this way. I am grateful that He'll offend my fragile ego in order to make me perfect. I am grateful that He'll prune me in order to see me grow. Part of bringing heaven to earth and the world around you is this wrestle with God and perhaps taking, taking a limp to increase your faith, to receive your rest and to grow in intimacy with God. But as I finish there, the only reason, what a privilege it is to be able to wrestle with God. 
In the Old Testament, you tuck the Ark of the Covenant and boom, you're dead. But we, as people get to wrestle with God over these things that matter, the only reason that you have that direct contact with God to wrestle through some of these major issues is because a wrestle took place over 2000 years ago for us. There was a battle that happened on the cross. When Jesus is praying that prayer in Luke 22, where the sweat is dripping like blood from Him in that moment, He's in anguish, He wrestles with sin and He wrestles with death, the real wrestle that we should have had. And He took unrest and He took discomfort and He took torture so that we could have rest in God. The only reason that we can wrestle with God is because we had the High Priest Jesus that wrestled with sin and death that we were due for. Will you wrestle with Scripture this week as you move forward? Wrestle in prayer and wrestle. Fight for intimacy with Christ. It's a battle for your loves. Let me pray as we close today. God, I thank You that You're not an insecure God, but You invite this, this wrestle, this, this combat sport, this to and fro relationship that's vibrant and exciting, but also confronting, Lord God. We wanna know You more. And our world views aren't perfect, God, but we wanna know the biblical truth for them because we know that there's the rest that happens when we do. God, can we wrestle, with, wrestle in prayer for You? Will You align our wills with Your will as we look to You, as we wrestle with You, as we don't shy away from these tough topics, but battle them out with You. And Lord, above all, we wanna be closer to You, we wanna know You more. It's a battle for our hearts, God. And I pray this church is a church that says like Jacob did, we will not let you go until you bless us, whatever the cost, because the blessing from God means more than any blessing from the world. We thank You, Lord. And while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, whether you're in the room or online, I just wanna give an opportunity for anyone who is in this room, but doesn't know God like that, doesn't have that intimate relationship with God, maybe hasn't chosen to follow God with everything that you are. Maybe you have doubts about this whole Christian faith. Good, but you've got some wrestling to do. Don't let your doubts, don't let your disbelief be a blockage from entering into the relationship with Christ. Rather your doubts can be the highway onto faith as God says, wrestle me in this, find the truth, with me. So for some people today, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before. This is your moment to enter into a great relationship with Him. And for some people today, you've known a lot about God, but you've never really entered into this relationship, this two-way wrestle, and you want that to be real. You don't want God to sit as a concept on the surface of your life anymore. He can't just be on top of your life, but not really permeating into the being of who you are. And if you want that change from Him to go something, a concept to something real, on the count of three, if you need to make a decision to come back to Jesus, to have Him really personally in your life, then I wanna pray with you. One, it doesn't matter your journey, where you've come from, your origin point, where you've been. He just wants to know you. Two, it doesn't matter the doubts that you have, the scepticisms that you have. He invites them in to question. He'll wrestle with you because He wants to be close to you. If you need to make a decision today, three, I'd love to put your hand up in this place. Thank you, I see that hand. 
Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else today? Let's pray, God. Thank you for those hands that went up, the ones that I saw. And if there's any that I didn't, it doesn't matter because you see them right now. You see their heart, you see their questions. You see their desires, their loves. You see their wills, Lord God. And you invite them into a, a greater way of life with you. Invite them into something real, an intimate relationship with you. And today, Lord God, I thank You that You start this journey. It's a, it's a journey, it's a moving forward, whatever their turning point, whatever their origin point is, where they made the decision in the room or online, You're taking them somewhere great, somewhere with a purpose, somewhere with a future, somewhere they're loved, where they're significant and secure. We thank You for the regeneration that takes place in their heart today and salvation that has come to this house. In the Name of Jesus, Amen and Amen. Can we put our hands together for every decision in this place? that was in the room or online, so great.